Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. If you know, you know. Welcome to the Competition Committee, where we make sports more fun for the fans. As always, I'm joined by my compadre, JJ. On this week's episode, we are joined by our guest pundit, David. David, thank you so much for joining us this week. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, I'm looking forward to this. I've been excited about it all day. Awesome. We are glad to have you. Well, let's jump right in here, JJ. NFL safety. Something that's pretty rare in the game, but not as valued as much in the point system. Talk to me how we can fix this. Well, let's start with what we've got. The safety's worth two points. So why is the safety worth two points? It seems the safety's worth two points because in 1893, Walter Camp wrote a book called The Book of College Sports. And in it, he stated a safety is worth two points. That's why a safety is worth two points. But that's not what a safety should be worth. A safety is one of the rarest scoring plays. And as a rare scoring play, it should be more valued. Initially, when I started this, I thought it should be worth nine points. So I started doing a little bit of research, and I found out that I'm not the first person to think about this. Alex Kirshner of the Banner Society in 2020, proposed that the safety should be 11 points. I thought about it a little bit, and I actually think he's right. Here's some of his reasoning. 27% of all NFL drives result in touchdowns. Only 0.2% of NFL drives result in safeties. So safeties are far less common. They should be worth more. He has an analogy. Alex says, what if a half-court shot in basketball was worth only one point? Something that's very, very hard to do, and yet you reward it very low. So why 11? His argument, and I think it's really valid, is that 11 makes it worth just a little bit more than a touchdown and a field goal combined. So that's my proposal. It's really his proposal, but I also thought of it. We change the value of a safety from two points to 11 points. What do you guys think? I think it's an interesting concept. It would change how people play the end of the game. You know, you'd find yourself in situations where, you know, if you'd want the touchdown and onside kick and and field goal, teams would be trying to pin the opponent on their essentially one yard line mm-hmm. and um, and then see if they can get the safety from there. Yeah, that's what I was I was trying to imagine that in my head, what that would even look like. Driving the ball to essentially the one yard line and just taking a knee and allowing the team to take over on downs and then just going full on bull rush sprint to try to get the eleven points. And I'm I'm trying to think if that would be I know the purists would just absolutely hate this. I'm just trying to think if if this would be I don't think that's the way it would get used. That would be the rare exception where you're behind by 11 points and you have to get 11 points, you Uh know, towards the end of the game. I think the way it gets used 
remember there used to be something called the coffin corner punt and it was really popular about 20 years ago there were there were kickers who would really focus on kicking the ball punting the ball i should say out of bounds inside the five-yard line for some reason Mm -hmm. that seems to have kind of gone away but this would come back and it would be extremely important it would make special teams very important the ability to kick the ball and get it inside the five-yard line or inside the three-yard line. You might even see people hunting the ball in instances where they normally wouldn't. If you were on the opposing team's, I don't know, 40-yard line or something where a long field goal would be possible, maybe a little bit farther in, you might kick this corner punt if you had a punter that you had a lot of confidence in getting it out of bounds. And David, I kind of thought you might like this because think of how much focus this puts on the defense and how your Bears have had this traditional <laughs> aggressive defense and how much fun it would be for the the Bears defense to win football games by scoring 11 points. Oh, it'd be fantastic. I mean, I think it would obviously bring a a new excitement to the game, you know, something that, you know, you're not used to seeing. I think strategy would change significantly. I don't I'm not sure it would not sure it would be like the go to play all the time, but I think there would be certain situations where you would definitely want to try to set it up to where you could have that opportunity. Yeah, I, I really like it. I mean, I think most people would jump on board with the fact that safeties need to be more viable. Two points is is nothing. And I think whether that's nine points, 11 points, it doesn't really matter to me. It just needs to be something more significant. I mean, it's such a rare and exciting play to begin with that something crazy happens where you get the safety. Well, it's only two points. And I guess they punt the ball to us and we get the ball back again. And I mean, which is great and all, I would just, I would love for it to be more meaningful and having it be whatever point, 9 or 11, I would think it, it would be make it more fun for the fans. Absolutely. I, uh, in my research, I found another article written by a Ty Schalter of 538. 538 is the political, I guess, political and sports website that uses analytics and statistics to look at things. And he had an interesting table. And he, he pointed out that right now, with a two-point safety, if you get a two-point safety in a game, it increases your probability of winning by 7.1%. So imagine you're in a game where it's a straight-up 50-50 game. Either team has a 50-50 shot of winning, well-balanced teams. If one team gets a safety, it increases their likelihood of winning that game by 7%. So it goes from 50% to 57%. That's Mm -hmm. small. I mean, it's much smaller than a touchdown. If, however, you change it to 11 points, then the probability increases 23.9%, just say 24%. So again, if you had a 50-50 game and you were able to score a safety and it was worth 11 points, that would mean you now have a 74% chance of winning. And that just feels about right. Yeah, I was just thinking that. You know, back to the excite my excitement comment. Like, think about how important the long snapper role is. I mean, I realize it's already important, but if you're pinned down and and you're trying to punt out of the end zone, 
like and you you sell that thing over the head or you dribble it back to them like you know they just kick the ball out of the back of the end zone now to prevent a you know a touchdown but now they're not going to do that they're just Mm -hmm. and they're going to let the other team just get the ball because it's seven points as opposed to 11. You're right the the intentional safety simply goes away and I hadn't thought about the punting aspect of it but that would make a punt out of your end zone very exciting very much so yeah i do like that high leverage situation for the non i want to say non-skill players but i mean long snapper is kind of an overlooked position i would i do like that idea of having more pressure on those positions that they might not have had otherwise i'm curious to see your scores and ratings for this rule let's uh let's go around the room and start with jj what do you think so we're voting one to ten, but can't use seven. Is that right, Parker? That is your rule to not use seven. But okay. I agree. Let's not use seven. Okay. Well, I like this a lot. I'm a little bit concerned that uh, the last three rules I voted on, I gave ten, but I'm going to give <laughs> ten again. Okay. So I give it a ten. Uh, I think, you know, it would be so awesome to see in practicality it'll never happen but i i think i'd give it i'd give it an eight okay i really do want to give this a seven but i really want this to happen i really want this number to be nine ten eleven twelve points i don't really care i really want this to happen so i'm gonna give it a nine okay so we got nine plus eight plus ten divided by three that's nine so that's higher than eight Parker, I think we send this off to the competition committee at the NFL. Sign, sealed, delivered. It will be going to Roger Goodell. That's going to wrap it for this segment. We will take a brief break, and when we come back, we will play Three Rules and a Lie. Parker. Where do you want to eat breakfast this morning? Let's grab some food at the Waffle House. Waffle House. It's like a guy with two waffle irons serving you breakfast in a gas station bathroom. Welcome back to the competition committee. We're going to try out a new segment today, boys. This segment is called Three Rules and a Lie. I will be listing out four rules in various different sports. Three of these rules are actual rules. One of these rules is not a real rule. And you guys are going to have to tell me which one is which. This sounds like fun. You guys ready? Absolutely. Get me with it. The first one in tennis. If a player hits a ball and drops his hat while he is hitting the ball, it is considered a hindrance and the point can be stopped and replayed. Number two is in baseball. If the batter hits a line drive up the middle, it can be considered a foul ball if it hits the rubber and caroms out of bounds. This one is in football. If a team punts the ball and the receiving team calls for a fair catch, that fair catch team has the option to kick an immediate field goal at that that spot. 
And the fourth rule in golf, if a player is practicing their stroke off the tee and they accidentally or incidentally hit their ball in a practice swing, that is considered their first stroke. I'm going to pick the baseball one, and here's my logic. Baseball's a very, very old sport, and I think baseball is older than rubber. So I'm going to guess that that used to not be there. So I don't think this is a real rule. That's my guess. Okay. David, what do you think? Well, I actually know the answer to this one. It's the golf one because Zach Johnson is very happy that this is not a rule, a real rule. (laughs) He has famously hit his tee ball on his practice swing multiple times, most famously at hole 13 at Augusta National. And it's one of my favorite videos every first week in April. Yeah, that video cracks me up every single time I watch it. But that is correct. The fourth rule that I mentioned, the golf one, it is not considered your first stroke if you accidentally hit your ball on the tee box. So my theory about rubber not existing didn't really work. Okay. Well, I tried. No, it did not. But the one that I thought was the most interesting was the, the ball hit right up the middle line drive hits the rubber goes out of bounds or goes foul. It's considered a foul ball. I I actually never heard of that before. (laughs) I like the game Parker. I just didn't do well. Did you, did you, did you know about that fair catch kick rule? Well, if there's ever uh, ever a trivia question with this, the last time this was ever attempted was in 1976 when Ray Wershing of the Chargers attempted a free catch kick or however they want to call it. And it was a 45-yard attempt, and he made it. That is going to wrap this segment. We will be back after this short break. Parker, where do you buy all these video games? I buy them at Toys R Us. Toys R Us. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. We asked our viewers last episode to send us some emails, their opinions on how to make the NBA in November better. We did get one email, and it is from Sawyer from Knoxville. He says, I've got your answer for your November problem in the NBA. Shorten the season. Shorten it so much that you don't have any games in November. <laughs> hmm. There you go. Well, let's, let's circle back around to the problem itself. I, I think the problem itself is most of us don't want to watch NBA basketball in November or maybe even December, partly because the NFL is still going on and it doesn't feel like basketball season yet, but partly because we're dealing with games that just don't matter. And it seems that not only do us fans not care, when you watch it, it seems like the players don't care either. Right. So Sawyer's solution is probably a smart solution, but it'll never happen. The salaries 
demand that they play 82 games. So they're going to play 82 games. Even though most of their money is made in the playoffs, there's an awful lot of season tickets that are sold, and they can't afford to have whatever, 20 less games, I don't think. Right. Well, it's, a, it's the TV rights deals as well. I mean, they obviously they're not as watched in, the, in November as they are in the playoffs, but they are still getting some income. That's those. right. And they're smart enough not to go head-to-head with the NBA – I'm sorry, with NFL usually – so they're playing on Tuesday nights and weekday nights. Well, and it also, and I come to this pretty much in every discussion that we have, but I mean, there are records and whatnot that have been established over 82 games and removing that would um, have to reset some of the record books for, you know, stats going forward. Yeah, it's simply not going to happen. It's an interesting idea. I understand the frustration, but there's no way. I don't know that we need to consider it too much because it won't happen. No. So how do we fix it? What are we going to do to try to make November a little bit more interesting or more fun for the fans? Here's a solution that I propose for the NBA November problem. I propose what I'm calling the NBA November challenge. Every game that's played in November the NBA puts up $100,000. But to make it more interesting, one player from each team is selected as the challenge player that particular game. So one player from the Denver Nuggets is challenging another player from the Miami Heat. Those two players are the designated challengers that week. Each of them will select a charity, and then their team will be playing for the $100,000 that the NBA puts up for that charity. So the team that wins that particular player's charity gets $100,000. To make it even more interesting, I think there could be side bets. Player A could bet player B $20,000, Now, of course, it's not a real bet. It's a bet for their charity. But again, now we're talking about $100,000 plus $20,000 that goes to that charity. Maybe sponsors get involved. Maybe if one of them is represented by Adidas and the other one's representing Nike, Nike and Adidas both put up $50,000. And whichever team wins gets that money for that team's charity. I think this would make the NBA look good. It would make them look charitable. They would actually be charitable. It would show up on the local news in the towns where they're playing. These charities would get highlighted. I've got a couple more ideas. I think you always try to make the challenge something that is related. So I just I threw a couple names together. And let's just pretend that Denver is playing Miami in, in November. Well, maybe Jamal Murray, who's a point guard from Kentucky, is challenging Tyler Hero, who's a point guard from Kentucky. And those two guys have a relationship. They have a past, even if it's just that they both attended the same school. A couple other things that I think we we would do in this November challenge is that we would it would be ideal if the challenging players played at least 24 minutes. So I'm saying even the guys that are at the end of the bench on that particular night, they play 24 minutes. The other thing I think would make it kind of exciting is they jump ball against each other. 
So these are guys who wouldn't normally jump, but you got two point guards jumping against each other at the beginning of the game. It's a $10,000 tip. There you go. That's my idea for the November um, NBA challenge. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That is, that's genius. And there would be shame on these players if they didn't try in these type of games. So, I mean, even if they didn't have sentimental value towards whatever cause or anything, they would generally genuinely feel bad. They would be shamed everywhere if they didn't try in this game that they were trying to raise money for whatever cause. But I, I think the players would be way on board with this. This is, I think it's awesome. There's so many different things that you can do with this. You're right with the sponsoring companies. You can do, you know, with it being in November, it's it's obviously not hurricane season, but it's the end of hurricane season. So if there's some sort of tragedy in a certain area, they can play for, you know, relief for this certain city in Florida or something. I think it would be awesome and everybody would tune in for that. If there's $100,000 on the line for this certain player to win, everybody would tune in. That's, I, I love this idea. I think you could also take it a step further. When I, when I first saw this and heard about it, I thought it was the player challenging the other player. And then when she just described it, you know, it was whoever won, what team won, you know, would their player would get the $100,000 to their charity. I think you could, maybe you do it 50,000 for the team that wins and 50,000 for whatever set of parameters it is for the two players challenging each other so that it doesn't become a one-on-one game that is, it can be exciting, but also takes away from the, um, you know, the game itself and the team game itself, but it could, it could also, also have more of a one-on-one feel to it. So you're, that you're saying that they consider individual statistics also. They right. might. That's interesting. Exactly. Complicates so instead, it a little bit, but it's interesting. It does. I'm sure there's some formula where it's points and rebounds and blocks or uh, assist or whatever it may be, depending on who the two challenge teams are. But it would, it would, it could also be tied to them personally, not just the team game. Right. And I think the sponsoring companies can either come in and say, okay, this player, if he gets 20 points, we're going to up it another 50 K. If this bench player who never plays, if he gets three rebounds, then we're going to up it to whatever, $20,000, which I think would be kind of funny if a, if a sponsoring company gave a point guard some outrageous number of rebounds so this point guard was trying to run around and trying to get as many <laughs> rebounds as possible, trying to get the charity. And they can have it on the scoreboard in the, in the arena of a running tally. They can get the crowd involved. They, they can donate. And I, I think it's awesome. You know, I, I hesitate to mention this, but you know who the ideal sponsor is for the wager that they have against each other? You have DraftKings come in. And DraftKings sponsors. DraftKings sponsors. I mean, you, you could do stuff at the beginning of the game to make it interesting. I mean, you could have Jamal Murray and Tyler Hero both bring suitcase or a, a briefcase, I should say, with $20,000 in and leave it on a table. If, if you win, you get to take yours home and you get to take the other one to the charity. And you wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys would actually donate their portion to the charity, even though they don't have to. It would just make the NBA look good. Right, their game check. I looked to see how much this would cost because I thought, is this, is this prohibitively expensive? So we're talking about 15 games. 
There are 32 teams, but only half of them, I'm sorry, 30 teams, but only half of them win. So we got 15 times 15 times $100,000. That's $22.5 million. Now that's a lot of money, but that's half of LeBron's annual salary. So it's not that much from the NBA. And if they could generate, if they could generate really any interest at all, it would probably pay for itself. Oh yeah. That's $750,000 a team. I mean, it's, I mean, I, that's pennies to their coffers. I would assume. You, you win all the games. It's nothing. You lose all the games. <laughs> you get to pay. That's true. All $1.5 million. I think we're ready to vote on this. Yeah. And this is assuming that these are not standalone games. I think a lot more local team support local fans would tune into their NBA team, especially if they're playing for something local. I mean, you could, you could imagine a newspaper or maybe the evening news, they would highlight the charity that the team's playing for that night, which would just generate Mm -hmm. interest for it. It just seems to be a win-win, even though it's a little bit gimmicky. At the end of the day, it's an entertainment product, and that's what you're there to do. There you go. Let's take a vote. David, you want to start us off? Uh, I might give this my first 10. You stole the words right out of my mouth. It will be my first 10 as well. Well, it seems wrong for me to give it a 10 because I I don't know – this this may make it the best idea we ever, ever have. I'm going to give it a nine just so it doesn't get a perfect 10. Wow. But it carries. Devil's advocate over here. He's not going to give it a 10 for the charity's sake. Wow. <laughs> get ready, Adam Silver. We are sending it your way. We will take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll dig into our email bag. Stay tuned. Parker, where did you get all this electronic equipment for making our podcast? I got it all at Radio Shack. Radio Shack, America's technology store. It is time to dig in some of our emails and pull out a message that was sent to us by Brian from D.C. Thank you, Brian. He says, guys, I have the perfect rule for the NFL. I call it the catch-up rule. As soon as one team is down by more than 14 points, that team gets five downs to make a first down. (laughs) Of course, they return to only four downs to make a first down as soon as they get within 14 points of the other team. To state the obvious, this would reduce the number of, quote, blowouts. And as you boys like to say, it would make it more fun for the fans. Interesting. JJ, you want to lead us off? What do you think? Well, I like this email. I did a little bit of research on it. I saw it ahead of time. Here are my thoughts on it. I went back and looked at the 2022 season. By the way, how many NFL games do you think there are? Just off the top of your head. Oh, good Lord. Don't think, don't think too hard. Just throw something out there, including playoffs and Super Bowl and everything. David, oh, got a guess? 400. More or less, 40, Parker. I, you're saying 400 total or 400,000? No, how many games in a season? 
Oh, I thought you were talking about total. Oh. Um, I will say Ever. over 400. <laughs> okay, it's 187. Um, Good Lord. So so a lot less than you thought. You told me not to think so hard. There you go. That's right. 187 games. 56 of them ended with a differential of 15 points or greater. I'm not sure what that email said. Did it say more than 14 points this catch-up rule comes into effect or at 14 points it comes into effect? As soon as one team is down more than 14 points. Okay. So there are there were 56 games that ended with a differential of 15 or higher. So that's 30% of the games. Hmm. In my mind, once a team is down by 14 points, I know I know what they like to say on the red zone. They like to say they're within two scores, and I always say that's 16 points, but that's two scores with two two-point conversions, which doesn't – it's still a long ways to go. I think when you're down more than 14, it is a blowout. And it turns out that 30% of our games end that way. So that's 30% of our games that aren't very exciting, or at least aren't very exciting at the end. So I really like this idea. So I kind of thought of what what does what does having an extra down mean? So you've got five downs to make a first down. Well, last year, the average yards per rushing attempt was 4.5. So let's just say you add one rush to that extra down. So that kind of gives you, essentially, instead of having a first and 10, you equivalently have, your equivalent first down is a first and five and a half. And just think of how much easier that would be. I think teams would score a lot when they had this advantage in the in, in the catch-up rule. Oh, for sure. Now, Purists always try to, you know, not change the game and all that. And I get all and I understand that. But this wouldn't this just completely mess with all the history. I realize that's not that big of a in this. Obviously, we're just having a nice discussion here. But I mean, that would kind of it could obviously it depends how bad the team is. Maybe an extra down doesn't help them and it doesn't help their stats, but they would essentially get 25 percent more. David, I, I understand what you're saying, but stats in the NFL aren't the same thing as stats in baseball because the game has changed so much. Look at how much passing there is now and how many touchdowns there are now compared to what there used to be. So the oh, NFL sure. is willing to change. I do understand your point that records and things would be I'm, – I'm not sure how individual records would be affected by this. Yeah, that's um, the only thing I was thinking of. But obviously, all of these big rule changes the purists are going to hate. But the idea of having more close games seems to me to make it more fun for the fans. Brian, I appreciate you sending in this email, but I sternly disagree with this rule. I just don't like this secret backdoor of a chance for a team that gets rewarded for playing poorly in the entire game, and they get this catch-up rule where they have a magic chance to come back. And I, I do agree it makes it more fun for half the fans, not for the fans in general. I would I would say it's more fun for half the fans. I just don't like the idea of, of a cop-out for a team that probably hasn't been playing well the whole game, and they get this catch-up rule where they get a magic chance to come back. Parker, I think you're thinking again as a fan of one team. I think... Most NFL games 
are watched by people who aren't fans of those teams. People just watch the NFL. And if I'm stuck on a Thursday night game and it's 20, there's a 21 point deficit, I'm going to turn it off. But if I don't have any rooting interest for either team and somebody goes down by 15 or more, I want to see what happens. I want to see if they can come back. I just think it would be fun for the fan. And I guess there's two other things that, that I just thought of. You could have this bizarre scenario where you want to avoid that 15-point lead. Imagine <laughs> imagine that, you, that you're up by eight and you score a touchdown. You might purposely miss your extra point so that the other team doesn't get that advantage. Um, that's kind of – it's just fun to think about. Yeah. And combine that with the nine points or 11 points for a safety, and you could get some really big changes swings there. (laughs) There you go. Let's vote on this. I will start because I feel like I'm the most opinionated with this rule. I give it a two. A two? Okay. David, what do you got? Uh, I'll give it a six. Okay. This is the first time ever that I haven't given something a 10, but I am going to give it an eight. I do think it's a good idea. So what do we have? We got a two, a six, and an eight. And that adds up to, there you go, 5.3. That does not make it to the uh, NFL competition committee. You're safe, Roger Goodell. You don't have to worry about this one. This one is from Jackson from Detroit. TCC boys, I know relegation would never happen in professional sports in the U.S., but let me propose something that could work. It can work in all leagues, but I will focus in the NFL. If a team under the same ownership fails to win a playoff game in 10 years, that team must be sold to new owners. Currently, that would include the Lions with 31, the Dolphins, 22, the Raiders, 20, the Commanders, 17, the Jets, 12, and the Bears, 12. Oh, you got to hit me with that, don't you? I don't think those owners are going to be selling anytime soon. Well, I mean, that's a, the obvious downfall of this, but it is very fun to speculate. Uh, I think I think it's awesome. Yeah, that would incentivize the owners to put the best players on the field. And to, I know there's a, a salary cap, but there would be some serious conversations had with the GM and the head coach in year eight or nine if they haven't won a a playoff game, that would be some real stress. Well, I don't want to get hung up on the 10 years in the playoff win, but I like the idea of something. I like the idea of some requirement for winning football games, specifically playoff games. Maybe it's making the playoffs. Maybe it's something different than this, but something like this. And I guess I'm going to argue that if you're going to take government money, which is the people's money, and build stadiums, then you have an obligation to put a winning team on the field. I really like the idea because the truth is the commanders should be on somebody else. And the Lions have been bad for a very long time. I did look. They've had the same ownership since 1935. Wow. So it would be tough to, I think it's the Fords, it would be tough to get rid of the Fords. I really like this idea. I, I'm a little bit worried that 10 years without a playoff win is too 
is too stringent or too big of a demand, maybe 10 years without a playoff appearance, which would be, what, 50% yeah. less likely to happen. Yeah, I think that's more doable. I mean, yeah, it would be – gosh, could you imagine being the head coach or the GM in year eight or nine or ten for that matter? Like, and I do think that it would probably have more head coach turnover and GM turnover that than we already have. Um, but, gosh, the pressure you'd be under on that. For this to really work, you'd have to set this up when you set up your league, essentially, because there would probably be – legal things that would prevent this from happening now. But if you were setting up a new league, you could do something like this. And that's mm-hmm. part of the contract you get when you get in the league. I really like the idea. I'm I'm not going to give it a real high vote because I think it's a little bit too demanding. I think it's too easy to go 10 years without winning a playoff game. But if it was 12 years or 15 years or something, maybe I would I would, I would would vote it much higher. I'm ready to vote. What would you give it, JJ? I guess, boy, I'm glad we got the rule that you can't give it a seven because that's where I would go. I'm going to give it a six. It's better than average, but it's not great as it currently is proposed. It obviously depends on who your favorite team is of how you're going to vote on this. Uh I'll give it an eight. Well, let me ask you this question. Would you like the Bears to be owned by somebody else? I mean, obviously from a historical standpoint and McCaskey's and the houses and all that, no. But at some point, you know, you've got to have progress and uh, a different mindset. So you never know what might happen. So their return on investment is going to be pretty good in the art. So, yeah, sure. Why not? We've tried everything else and most quarterbacks ever. So <laughs> what's an owner going to do? I'll, I'll give it a nine regardless. And I'll have just one finishing point on this. I mean, how often do you have a CEO of a, of a major, you know, S&P 500 company that gets 10 years of poor or mediocre um, returns and keeps their job? That's a good point. It's true. Did you vote, David? I didn't get your number. I gave it an eight. I'm going to have to use a calculator on this. Six, nine, eight. It's not going to make it, is it? 7.7 does not make it. Close. I like the idea, though. It's fun. All righty. Next email from Jeff. Guys, I believe it is time to change the dimensions of the basketball court. At least change it at the college and professional level. Players are bigger and faster than they were 80 years ago when the 94 by 50 court was established. Today, they need more room to play. I believe we should widen the court to 56 and simultaneously move the three-point line back two feet. What do you think? Jeff from New York. So we're currently 50 feet wide. He's proposing 56 feet wide. Yes. So three feet farther from the basket on each side and he's moving the three-point line back two feet so that gives a little more room behind the three-point line i like this the the three-point line right next to the out of bounds line is so tight i mean i feel like just watching a game i feel like they're going to step out of bounds every single time they walk over there 
I would love to see it widened. I, I think you can do a lot more of, of stuff around the baseline, especially near the three-point line. And in regards to the three the three-point line, I mean, Steph Curry changed the game with the way he's shooting the ball, changed the whole sport itself with teams and how they strategize. I mean, it's just under-the-basket layups and three-points. And I think if they moved the three-point line back, it would challenge the players even more. And I, I, I would love to see the game come back to the mid-range jump, uh, jump shot era where they just they come off a screen, hit at the elbow, shoot a jump shot. I feel like that part of the game has been missing for a while. I would, I would like to see this happen. I'm thinking out loud. So if we move the three-point line back and the court is wider, which is essentially bigger where they're playing basketball, that's going to mean there's more room to defend, more room that has to be defended. So wouldn't this make, it seems like it would make more room to play basketball so players could drive to the basket better, more space in between the defenders. There's a lot about this that sounds good. We always hear people say, let's change the geometry by raising the backboard. But I think this makes more sense. It The plane where these guys play is now larger and there is more room in between the defenders. I really think I like this idea. You know, as you pointed out, that athletes are getting bigger and stronger and, and faster. I mean, you do this 50 years from now, do you have to do it again? I mean, Every sport is coming into this, and and you're just gonna you're gonna have to deal with it. So, I mean, decisions now are gonna set a precedent for going forward. I'm dead in 50 years, so I don't care. That's somebody <laughs> else's problem. I probably will be too. From from somebody who's been to a basketball game recently, it is so different watching it in person than on TV. On TV, you can it seems like there's more space out there. Than, than there actually is being at a game and watching them play. I don't know how they can make those passes. I don't know how there's even space to maneuver. They are so big and so tall that it just looks like a discomfort. Like there's just a mass of players on the court. I, I just don't see how they can play the game the way they do watching it on TV. They make it look so easy, but I would love to see the the court widened. We would see a lot more plays, a lot more set plays being done. I think coaches can, you know, strategize better. I just I just feel like more space the better. But here's the big question. So we're going to be losing essentially a row of seats right next to the court. Does that mean Spike Lee, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson or Jack Nicholas? Who's the actor? Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, they don't have a seat. No, they're just the people behind them was their seat. Yeah, they were just they were just moving <laughs> real back. Well, I'm going to go back to what you always say, Parker. They need to play this in the G League or some league and see what happens first. Yep. And we don't want to do it in high school basketball because that that would actually be a burden on people that have um, gymnasiums. Mm-hmm. You know, they might have a gymnasium right now that you can fit two basketball courts in or three basketball courts in, and they would lose one by having to make them six feet wider. But do it yeah. at the it's professional the college level and the professional level where the guys have gotten so big and so strong. 
I'm ready to vote, and I'm going to give it a pretty positive vote, I think. Okay. I will start. I, I like this rule as well. I will give it a 10. I love it. David, what do you think? Uh, I'll give it an 8. Glad you gave it an 8 so I could give it a 10. I like the idea <laughs> a lot. Yes. That's high enough that that's, that's going to go to Adam Silver. That is going to wrap up this week's show. You can use the links in the show notes to reach us. We need your help to make the Competition Committee a community. Please text a few of your friends a recommendation and a link to our show. It's easy. Click the three dots in the upper right corner of your phone. Select Share, Messages, type the name of three friends, and ask them to check out the show. That's all it takes. Thanks for joining us this week and look for our new episodes each Thursday. I'll do it. Just don't hit me on the head so hard. <laughs>